Hi, my name is Anthony Millendorf, and I'm the host of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women podcast. I want to thank you so much for listening in. I'm going to start this podcast off with a very special interview that I did with Haley Humphrey. Uh, Haley and Jeff Elkins did a fantastic in-depth story right here in the state of Oklahoma talking about the five indigenous tribes and the missing and murdered indigenous women here in Oklahoma. You'll hear that interview first. That'll give you a brief overview of what we're going to talk about in the podcast. Thank you so much again for listening. If you have any questions, our socials will be up very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Haley, for joining me today uh, to talk about the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women project that you've been working on all semester, large project that you've been working on. I just kind of wanted to pick your brain and talk to you about kind of some of the things that you've learned and what was your experience interviewing these people that you interviewed for your story and uh, kind of, uh, I, I want you to talk a little bit about the, the data, because I know that that was an issue as well, researching uh, data on this information, because there, there just isn't a lot out there. Right. No, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Um, just to kind of start off with, like, the interviews. Um, so we really focused on Muscogee Creek Nation, which is one of the five civilized tribes. And we reached out to all of them, but they were the only ones that got back to us, like, with their responses. Um, but they were really helpful. And, um, so like I went down there to Okmulgee and I interviewed their chief, their police chief, um, their director of their family violence prevention program. So it was really awesome, but, um, they don't have their own like particular database to like keep track of all, um, their tribes missing or murdered indigenous women that happen, but they are currently working on it. So, um, FVP and their police chief and like other organizations are working together to compile their own database to start collecting their own data because like what better you know than the tribe itself to keep the data instead of relying on like outside sources and stuff so that was really awesome but they really pushed the notion of that this crisis isn't just a new thing this has been going on um, for a really, really long time. And there is a complete lack of comprehensive data on the national, state, and local level because just no one's keeping track of this. But a lot of organizations, like one organization we included that had a pretty um, extensive study done like in 2017, and it was the Urban Indian Health Institute. They did their own study on how... Um, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls have been increasing at a really rapid rate um, in the United States and throughout Canada. And Oklahoma is actually ranked 18th in the whole country on the highest number of missing and murdered indigenous women cases that have gone unsolved. So yeah, it's been, there's so much to talk about this. It's super complex. So um I don't know where you want me to go from there. That's kind of a lot. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Well, I know one thing that, you know, the Urban Indian Health Institute talked about in their statistics is just the amount of the lack of data before the year of 2000. And then, of course, in November of last year, Donald Trump signed an executive order that essentially created a task force in order to kind of help cooperate between these different agencies, because you, you talked about the disconnect between the local, state and federal level this task force should, as long as it works properly, help communicate and help start creating a database for, you know, for, for data collection from the federal level that will, that will hopefully maybe alleviate some of those data issues. Right. 
Yeah, so that was great. Um, the Trump administration did that in 2019, and AG Barr is heading that up. And according to some sources, like in Montana, when Selena Not Afraid went missing, they had said they saw first effects of the of this national strategy that um, it was benefiting. There was a lot more, I guess you could say, action taking place to um, like collaborate with different agencies and have a more expansive search for um the missing woman so i do think that i don't i've talked about that in my interviews and asked them hey have you guys experienced this kind of strategy implemented if one of your tribe members goes missing they were like no we haven't really had that but the whole concept of how state uh local and national agencies are um not I don't want to put this like incorrectly, but sometimes they share information with each other and sometimes they don't. Yeah, they don't always cooperate. That's the thing with law enforcement agencies is there's a disconnect between your local, your state, and even your federal government agencies when it comes to law enforcement. Just that that's always been a thing. You know, uh, right. local and state agencies hate dealing with the feds. Uh, the feds hate dealing with local and state agencies. So there's always been a disconnect there. So I was interested to see uh, from your perspective, if it, you know, I, I didn't know that story about Montana. I didn't know that that task force had finally been, you know, I knew that it was created in November of last year, but I did not know that it had already started. Uh, we had already started seeing effects from that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I didn't really find any stories uh, about that. So I wasn't sure if it, if it had been, put to good use so far. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I was wondering. So thank you for that. But you're, you're absolutely right. There is a large disconnect between local state and, and federal agencies. And another thing that we talked about is jurisdiction because jurisdiction is a big deal. I know a lot of these cases are in urban areas that might not fall under the jurisdiction of, of a local police department. They might not, it, it might fall under the jurisdiction of a state, uh, uh, you know, a county, uh, which would be a state agency, it would be a county sheriff's department. And, and I think there's a, a disconnect there because I think a lot of that gets, you know, fall, it falls through the cracks because of that, because of, of where these cases are happening, because they're happening in areas that are urban and areas that are, are not necessarily under a certain jurisdiction. And they may not even be, um, as the Urban Indian Health Institute, put, they, they, it may not even be in, a, in the area of a civilized tribe. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's where what I talked about is I think that that's where that national, uh, the feds being able to step in because the federal government doesn't really have any jurisdiction. Them being able to step in and take over some of these cases that are falling through the cracks, I think, I think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, we, I hit that pretty hard with the police chief and we talked about how if a crime happens on tribal land, there's, there's so many things that go into um, well, you know, can the state agencies help us? And it's kind of like them inviting them on the trust or restrictive property um, when it comes to tribal boundaries and all that stuff. But the police chief really um, noted that if it's a homicide, the feds, the feds get in there. OS, it's OSBIs, you know, they have um, jurisdiction if it is a homicide, whether it's on tribal land or if it's not. Um, that's their that's their uh, job to do that. But they, if it's a tribal member, uh, the police chief is like, we will still work alongside them no matter what, you know, whether it is a homicide or not, uh, we'll try to 
you know, help them in any way we can because it's one of our people. So. And I'm glad that you mentioned the OSBI because obviously there's five different house bills that are trying to be passed through uh, our, our own government right here in the state of Oklahoma. And one of those will create essentially a st- basically what was created on the federal level as far as a task force that will be headed up by the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, OSBI. And uh, there will be a liaison that is somebody that is specifically trained in dealing with uh, these different tribes, essentially. Right. No, yeah. Um, Jeff did a really good job explaining all those bills because there are so many different things that go into it. But yeah, we also within, I believe it was the national strategy that elected um, a coordinator for 11 states to have this trained coordinator in missing and murdered indigenous people or persons cases. And Oklahoma received one of those coordinators, but the name hasn't been released. And so I think they would be in charge of all these different bills that the, that's going on at the Capitol that have been passed or in the process of um, being looked at and gone through both the House and the Senate. So, I mean, there's going to be so much still going on that we don't even know about. And yeah. they passed that in 2019. So here we are. Sure. Well, Haley, I want to thank you so much for bringing light to this situation. You and Jeff did such a fantastic job of covering this story and, uh, you know, doing the best job that you can, uh, considering the circumstances, of course, with the uh, coronavirus and the quarantine in 2020. Um, You guys did a fantastic job. Uh, I wish I could have been there for more of it, um, but I want to thank you for giving me a stepping stone for creating this podcast. And, 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 Again, like one of the things that I talked about in the podcast is that this doesn't this doesn't change overnight. We understand that, but but also that there are people out there that care. There are people out there that are here for these people. Uh, and if anybody is out there that wants to talk, I know that Haley, I know that Jeff, I know that anybody on this podcast would be more than happy to talk to you and tell your story um, because I think that that's the biggest thing is community effort and getting people involved. And that's how things start getting changed. We saw that in Montana. They took to the streets what happened. That was essentially the stepping stone for President Trump to sign the executive order. Um, it, it brought light to a situation. And, and I think that's the best way to help, help it. Anything else you want to say, Haley? Yeah, that's, that's perfect, Anthony. Thank you so much for letting me talk about it. And as much as we can get these people's stories heard, that means the world. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Haley. Welcome into the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women podcast or the MMIW podcast. I've got uh, Anthony Meldorf. I'm your host. I've got Garrett Johnson, James Jackson, and Logan Long. And we are recording this audio from Zoom, of course, the quarantine of 2020, the coronavirus. And uh, speaking of, how have you guys been? I haven't seen you guys in a while. It's been going good. Pretty good. I mean, uh, just been chilling at the house, trying to stay uh, up with all my homework and stay motivated. But uh, it's, it's been going pretty good. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean... I've been kind of saying the same thing, just staying as low key as I can, trying to be as socially distant as possible. 
going out whenever I need to, but not just in excess or anything like that. Trying to stay away from people I wouldn't normally be around anyway. And especially like older family members and younger family members haven't seen them in a while. So that's tough. But other than that, you know, hopefully we'll be kind of coming to an end of this somewhat soon. I mean, it's kind of like a state by state thing, but who knows? Yeah, it's just been just been working a lot. We had some some layoffs at my job because of the coronavirus. So kind of my, my, my workload's kind of risen uh, since then. So a lot of my time's been writing and reporting and calling people, interviewing. So it's just it's been a, it's been crazy ride. It's been crazy yeah. ride, but you know, just getting through it. Well, speaking of writing, a uh, couple of our classmates, uh, Haley Humphrey and Jeff. Uh, Jeff, um, why am I drawing a blank on his Elkins. last name? Elkins. Elkins. That's right. Oh my goodness, uh, they have uh, they've done a great uh, a great project. Uh, of course, it's been a class project. Everybody's been working on this all semester. Um, but this project over the missing and murdered Indigenous women, specifically here in Oklahoma, but this is a nationwide issue, and I kind of want to talk about that as a nationwide issue, um, and, and kind of talk about Oklahoma as well because there's some things that are happening right here in Oklahoma. Uh, to address this problem. But the thing that's interesting about this is that this is a, this has been a problem uh, for at least 20 or 25 years or even longer. It's just now finally being addressed uh, here recently as early as uh, on the federal level, as early as last year in November when President Trump signed an executive order, which we can talk about here in a little bit. Um, but basically, you know, there's a lot of issues uh, surrounding um, missing and murdered indigenous women all across the, the nation. Uh, some of those issues uh, being that Many of these women are, are classified as, as white Americans instead of classified as, as Native women. Um, and that's according to the Urban Indian Health Institute, who collected data from 71 cities across 29 different states. Um, and I've got a lot of that data here. But one of the things that they say is an issue is, is that so many of those women, uh, or these women rather, live in remote urban areas uh, also that are not defined as tribal lands. They're off the reservation, essentially. Um, and then the racial misclassification, which is also an issue. Uh, many white American Indians and white native Alaska natives are classified as white. And that's uh, also an issue, uh, you know, classifying these women in a different, as far as data statistics go, if you're looking up data, you're not going to, the data is going to be skewed, obviously, if these people are classified as, as something that they're not, essentially. Yeah, the misclassification is a huge issue just in overall crime statistics, but especially in with indigenous women. Because it's been a problem that's been so just, not to say ignored, but at the end of the docket as far as official policy and law enforcement urgency go. Um, I mean, to really recognize a problem for what it is and like the objectivity of it, you need to understand and how to classify everything that belongs in that category. And if you can't do that, then you're really no closer to solving the problem based on the scale of it than you really were at the beginning. So that's definitely a thing that needs to improve just cooperation between the agencies and just making sure that information is transparent just in an effort to help these innocent people. If you can't even identify the race of a person, there's no way you're going to find them. You know, you know, if they're lost, there's no way you can find them. If you can't even do that part. I mean, it's, that's already a challenge in itself. So, yeah. And then I think on top of that, there's been a, almost an isolation between the tribes and the federal and even state governments, because I know some of these aren't on actual reservations or what they consider tribal land, but the ones that are, they really have their own government. So we kind of, uh, we kind of look past that and don't really make either state laws or federal laws that cover these people. 
So I think that kind of discrepancy between those two has also led to this issue. Sure. I mean, that's a good point, Logan. 5,712 of the cases that the Urban Indian Health Institute collected data from over the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, only 116 of those were logged into the Department of Justice database. So out of 5,000, I mean, you could do the numbers there. Only 116 were logged into the Department of Justice database and 153 of them did not exist in any law enforcement database. Yeah, that's. That's crazy. There's got to be some sort of communication there between either, I don't know if that's from the, the tribal police to the city police, which turns into the state or federal government, but only a hundred, I don't, I'm not a math expert, but that's way below 10% between the cases and what's actually logged into the OJ database. Yeah. And the other issue is that data, this data that w- that was collected by the Urban Indian Health Institute was only current up to the year 2000 because anything prior to the year 2000 they were unable to get data on anything prior to that, um, just just for various reasons. Um, this was a, a, Federal, a Freedom of Information Act request. Basically, they surveyed 71 city police departments, one state agency. Out of those agencies, 40 of them provided some data. There were also agencies that provided no data. And then that was, I think there was 15 agencies that provided no data and 18 agencies that are still pending, including an agency in Billings, Montana, they had sent an email to the chief of police saying that, hey, we sent you a Freedom of Information Act request and we have not re- we have not heard anything back. This was after a large period of time had passed. They got an email back from the chief that said, uh, I never got an email. We never got an email, et cetera, et cetera. They sent an email back to the chief afterwards with screenshots from the first Freedom of Information Act that they sent to him. And then they never heard anything back from the chief. That's that's crazy. I mean, I know you been having a, a background in law enforcement, you know, know a little bit more of how that works. But at some point, we kind of just have to put the differences aside and realize that these are actual people and actual lives, you know, that are could be in the balances and they've got to come to some sort of communication and take these reports seriously at some point. Right. Just a lack of cooperation from that police chief just kind of embodies what's happened for a long time. You know, it's not anything pressing to him. So he doesn't think it's something that needs to be pressing to the world or society just because it's not in his. It's not going to affect his immediate life or anything because he probably isn't personally invested in it being from Billings, Montana. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of like what Logan said, there just has to be a communication there. And it's honestly sad that there's not and that people can't just respect that Freedom of Information Act and send that information over just in the effort of overall goodwill for the country and everybody in it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, is there's just an issue, not across the nation, but you know, going back to Montana, there was a, a story in Hardin, Montana, where the residents in Hardin took to the streets basically to peacefully protest and to honor the names of the missing and murdered you know, indigenous women and children there in, in Hardin, Montana, and that actually led to President Donald Trump signing a executive order. You know, he, he kind of, I, I don't know how he saw this. We know that he's on Twitter. We know that he, he sees everything basically. But, um, you know, there was, a, there was a large protest. And then that led to it eventually making its way up to President Trump. And President Trump on November 26th of last year um, signed executive order 13898. And uh, basically what that order did is that it established a task force for missing and murdered American Indians and Alaska Natives across the United States. Um, basically what that did is establish the, chair, uh, the task force, uh, which was chaired by the, co-chaired by the Attorney General and the Secretary of the Interior. And it also allowed the Department of Justice to provide funding and administrative support for the performance and functions of the task force. Hopefully, 
will end a lot of those communications issues because this task force is basically going to coordinate with not only the tribal governments, but with also the federal governments and local and state governments as well. I mean, maybe it's a good thing they found like a middleman-ish type of task force to kind of bridge that gap between the tribal enforcement and the state and government enforcement, the state and national government. And I mean, it's a step in the right direction for sure. I'm glad he recognized that that's an issue. That's definitely worth at least attempting to mitigate, you know, like, or at least try to alleviate some of these cases. Yeah. So, so also mission and functions, which is a a purpose of the task force there to conduct appropriate consultations with tribal governments on the scope and nature of the issues regarding missing and murdered American Indians and Alaska natives, uh, develop model protocols and procedures to apply to new and unsolved cases of missing and murdered persons in American Indian Alaska Native communities, a- including best practices for improving the way law enforcement and prosecutors respond to the high volume of such cases and the investigative challenges that might be presented in cases involving female victims, as well as collecting and sharing data among various jurisdictions and law enforcement agencies. So at least it sounds like from the executive order that if this task force is established, which it already has been, and if they continue to work, then uh, hopefully those issues will eventually go away because they're going to be using criminal databases that are already existing. They're not creating any new databases or anything like that, but they're using the databases that are already existing, like the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, um, which is used by many tribal law enforcement agencies, and then the National Crime Information Center, NCIC, which is a, a big one, and the Combined DNA Index System, um, including the National DNA Index System. So. Uh, four big uh, databases that are already used uh, widely are going to be used by this task force to hopefully collaborate with these agencies and collect more data. And now this data can be collected and, and, and the issue can be at least somewhat resolved. Obviously, it's not going to be resolved overnight, but you know, th- I think this is a good start. Yeah. yeah, I think federally, you know, that's a great start having those databases and those um, things to put those missing and murdered indigenous women into, but also I think Oklahoma as a state, we're stepping in the right direction as we have several bills up right now. I know we're going to talk about it at some point, but in the state of Oklahoma, talking about protecting and and going out and and figuring a way to bridge the gap and trying to bring awareness to what's actually happening here in Oklahoma. It's definitely a a good, a step in in the right direction. Uh, Being able to collect data and and things of that nature really help out with uh, this, you know, missing persons and, and indigenous women, things like that. So it's, it's, a, it's a good, I think it's a good little deal we got set up for that. Yeah. And the Department of Justice has invested over a million dollars to hire coordinators in Alaska, Arizona, Montana, Oklahoma, Michigan, Utah, Nevada, Minnesota, Oregon, New Mexico, and Washington State. And those are the coordinators that are going to basically coordinate between the task force and the tribal, local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies to help develop protocols and procedures in response to dealing with missing and murdered indigenous peoples. So, And and I really think Oklahoma can be kind of uh, to pave the the way for the rest of states to step up and begin um, bringing up bills and putting laws into effect state by state. I know, like you said, as a task force, as a way to do it federally, but I think Oklahoma as a, a state that has a background and history of Native Amer- of several Native American tribes here in Oklahoma, as we begin to push these bills forward, I think we can be uh, a pave the way for other states to follow behind and do that as well. I definitely agree with that. And I think, too, if um, things take so long at the federal level and the national level to get passed, especially in the Senate and the House, like it's a good thing Trump went ahead and signed that executive order to get it done or they might have fought and gone over it for way too long. You know how that goes. But 
I think if they can get something done, they can almost expedite the beginning of this process and show that it is possible. And it show just kind of like lead by example, kind of like paving the way, like Logan said, just leading the way and um, showing that it can be done at a state level and you don't have to wait for the national government or the task force to come in. I mean, it's good to have more than one organization working on it, but if Oklahoma can pass this, then I think they should go ahead and do that. Yeah, and that's the thing is, is that's an issue is the communication between the federal government and the local and state and tribal government. You know, the tribes in the state here in Oklahoma haven't always gotten along. That's always been an issue over the years as far as, uh, you know, various things that even things that are going on right now between the tribes and Governor Stitt, there's things that are going on between them as far as laws and things like that involving the casinos and everything like that. So that's always been a disconnect. And, and I think that's, I agree with you that I think that's where we need to start. We need to start here locally and we need to get uh, all of our ducks in a row essentially and start getting local state and, and tribal law enforcement agencies cooperating and communicating with each other in order to solve these issues, because it, is, it doesn't just take one person. I mean, it's going to, it's going to have to be a joint effort. I know for a fact that a lot of the times jurisdiction gets involved. And I think that's where the federal government stepping in is, is a big stepping stone because the federal government doesn't really have any jurisdiction. The federal government can step in at any time, anywhere in the United States and, and whenever they feel like it. So, um, and, and I know that that get, that makes a lot of state agencies mad. That makes a lot of local law enforcement agencies mad. There's a lot of disconnect and, and a lot of, um, you know, ill will between the federal government and local and state law enforcement as well. But I think that is one good thing that comes from this task force is that they can step in no matter what the jurisdiction is and get these people, uh, you know, these other law enforcement agencies and things like that working together. And also before we get into the Oklahoma numbers, one, one other story that I want to talk about from Haley and Jeff's in depth is that there was a story from, they, they had talked to the Beaver, Oklahoma chief and uh, he, he talked about how he doesn't know why it's taken since 2019, since 2020, to have legislation enacted for missing and murdered indigenous women. He talked about how he's a father of two girls and how he sympathizes with tribes because he's lost how that, you know, they've lost their daughters and he can sympathize with them because he has a daughter. I mean, I can't, I have a daughter. I can't imagine what it would be like if my daughter was missing and, and there was nothing happening. Like, you know, law enforcement agency wasn't communicating and, and I can only imagine how difficult that is um, uh, for the, for those families to deal with for sure. So, uh, and if you're out there listening and you're in Beaver and you're in Muskogee, uh, you have a, you have somebody on your side there uh, the Beaver chief is on your side. He says that if you need assistance to get out of a violent situation, they're one phone call away. So, and that's, that's the thing about this guys is that this is going to have to be a community effort. You know, we're just on here talking about this issue, but nothing happens unless we talk about it. Um, we got to get the community involved, just like the community in Montana that got involved and got the president on it. That's the only thing that, that we can do right now to get, get these issues resolved. Call your representatives, tell them, hey, look, this is an issue. And if you want to get reelected, <laughs> We need to do something about this. And, and we'll talk about the, the bills that are being passed already. So obviously these things are already happening. But if we want this issue to be resolved, it's going to have to take a community effort. Um, just know that there are people on your side if you're, if you're in an issue like this, if you're dealing with, um, you know, domestic violence issues, um, if you're dealing with anything like that. And that goes for anybody, really. Um, there are people on your side that can help. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about that before we get into the Oklahoma numbers? I mean, yeah, I agree. Um, a big deal about this is just bringing awareness to it. You know, like you said, um, a lot of people aren't aware that this is, is an issue. So I think the more that we bring awareness to it, the more people are going to be like, wow, like, yeah, this is really something that we need to take care of, that we need to 
pass bills and laws um, to, to get these people in databases that they need to be with the correct law enforcement, you know, looking for them, searching, and hopefully finding them and, and lowering these numbers of just people that just are gone, you know, like the wind, and we don't even really know what happened. So I think uh, it could be a, a major step in getting all this passed and just bringing awareness and letting people know that this is really happening. Yeah, they were bringing the awareness is the most important thing because like, I didn't even know that there was no steps to, to, you know, search for a missing person. Like, who do you go to? You know, you just think go to the police, but like, if nobody's, they don't have any steps to do so, how do you, how do you get that, that moving forward? How do you, you know, check in and see where, 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 where are they at in the process? You know, things of that nature. So uh, this, this whole thing is, I think it's a really good deal. Yeah. And see, that's the thing, James, is that every law enforcement agency has their own process, right? So, so if you go to uh, Bethany police department and you go to Oklahoma city police department, they, their processes are going to be very similar, but they're going to have different people who handle that. Uh, smaller departments may not have the manpower to deal with it. Like a, a bigger city does, uh, you know, Bigger cities have, for example, if you go to New York City, they've got, you know, a homicide division, they've got a vice division, they've got all these different divisions that handle these different things. You might not have that in a small town, especially in, in a lot of these towns in Oklahoma, in urban Oklahoma, where a lot of these cases are at. I mean, uh, there's not a, there's cases here in Oklahoma City, but a lot of these tribes and, and all, a lot of these areas are out in, in rural areas in Oklahoma that are, you know, they might fall under, let's say, for example, Muskogee County. Well, Muskogee County has a sheriff's department, which would be a, a state agency. But I assume that the closest city also has a city police department. That police department might be small, for example, like Beaver. I mean, that, that's where I think a lot of the disconnect is as far as when it comes to, you know, a lot of these cases are in these urban areas. And, and I think that the database that we were talking about from the Urban in Indian Health Institute, they talk about that as being a, a major issue as far as a lot of these, especially in Alaska, a lot of these cases are in urban areas where jurisdiction is, is a big issue. And I think that's where, you know, going into the Oklahoma numbers, I think that's where Oklahoma is doing a decent job, at least currently right now. Um, we've got, I believe, five different bills that are trying to be passed in the House right now. Uh, House Bill 3892 is authored by Representative Marilyn Bell out of Norman, and it's going to require law enforcement officers to collect detailed biological information on missing children. And then also on the person that's reporting the child missing and the alleged suspects, which, of course, if this is passed, then what that will do essentially is that will solve the problem that we talked about as far as a lot of the, the misclassification or declassification of, of these people, right, as far as uh, some of them being classified in, as a certain race versus being classified as uh, a native. I think that right there, that House bill, I think that's what that's tailored. And that just sounds like common sense. I mean, it's something that you, you need to do to find somebody, you know, get all the information about them. You know, who's, talk, who's talking to you? Who are the suspects? I mean, that's, that makes perfect sense to me. I don't know why it hasn't, you know, already been a thing. Right. I agree. I think it's so just like simply logical. Like any thoughtful person can sit there and think about, okay, how would I find a person? And yeah. the steps listed in that house bill are the steps you would naturally take. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and compare real law enforcement to everything you see on television, but what do they do whenever you see it on a television show? They think about the people closest to them first and foremost get their information and try to see where it branches off from there. And I don't know, just like you said, James, I think that's just a common sense step. Like I'm surprised that it's taken this long to even officially put that into writing. That just seems like something that would come naturally. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. House Bill 3893 would create an electronic repository of student photos to help law enforcement identify missing children. And that's the thing with these bills right here. These bills are tailored towards solving issues with missing and murdered indigenous women, but these bills also address issues with missing children in general as well. Yeah, 
I think that's an important step too. I mean, it's a, another database that you have. I mean, every database that you can include and cooperate with one and the other and cross check, like the better off that child's chances are, like the better chances they're going to have to make it back home or at least give the family some peace over where or what happened. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, why are we not utilizing the technology that we have in 2020, right? Why have we, why do we not already have an electronic repository I, I guess I can see the issues maybe with, you know, privacy issues. Yeah. yeah I see some privacy issues there, but um, you know, I, I don't know if that bill is going to get passed or not because of that. But I, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see that bill is also authored by representative Marilyn Bell out of Norman uh, moving into house bill 3345, which is introduced by representative Mickey Dollins house bill 3345 will create the office of liaison under the Oklahoma state Bureau of investigation or OSBI uh, for missing and murdered indigenous persons. Additionally, the Office of Liaison would have a missing person specialist that has experience working alongside tribal communities. So again, like Garrett said, this is basically uh, an extension of the executive order just on the state level. Right. Yeah, I think that's by far an important thing because then you can have a person with and uh, probably the most information in the state, whoever that liaison is um, chosen as, that can work in direct contact with the federal liaison to the government, like with that task force, like the person that they put in charge of Oklahoma along with the other states. I mean, it's just, it alleviates the pressure on that national person to understand the severity of what's going on. And they have a reference point to someone closer that can kind of, I don't know, handle some more of the details and just be a information source for them when they need to make reports back. And as far as taking steps goes with the federal enforcement. Well, I think it's important to have a liaison that has experience working alongside tribal communities because a lot of these communities have their own you know, some of them have their own language. Um, they have their own dialects. They have, customs, you know, X, Y, Z customs. Yeah, yeah exa- et cetera, et cetera. So it's important because, you know, if it was somebody like me that doesn't know anything about these communities, how am I supposed to communicate with these communities? You know, so it needs to be somebody who can communicate with a wide range of these communities, not just one of them, because we have five major civilized tribes here in Oklahoma, plus a, a slew of other tribes here in Oklahoma and each one of them is different. You know, I think that's extremely important and that that needs to be thought of whenever you're, you know, and I'm sure they're talking about that down at the Capitol. But um, I just think that that's another issue where we're talking about communication. I think communication is, is probably the biggest issue when it comes to, to this overall issue. Communication, I think, is, is completely important. And they talk about that, uh, you know, in the, in the data from the Urban Indian Health Institute and also Jeff and Haley talk about the disconnect between journalists as well. You know, people like us that are covering stories like this, we even have a disconnect because how are we supposed to communicate with these communities and get information from them? A lot of times they're, they're hesitant to talk to law enforcement. A lot of times they're hesitant to talk to journalists. Uh, they, they don't want their information out there. And that's true in domestic violence cases, not just involving missing and murdered indigenous women, but involving everybody. Um, so I, I think that's also a big issue. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I can definitely understand why the tribe specifically wouldn't just be happy-go-lucky to communicate with the state and federal governments as they've never really done right by the tribes historically. So, I mean, there's really not an argument there. But um, I think it's interesting in that bill how the government kind of recognizes that there is such a huge disconnect between them and the tribes because they're appointing someone that they feel has some acquaintance with these tribes and can go in there and communicate as a liaison because they know that they're just so far removed from the happenings of the tribe and everything. They almost exist independently within Oklahoma. 
And that's kind of a sad thing too, because this is their native lands and everything. And they don't even feel welcome in the state levels of government and having their needs represented to the point that the government feels that they need to elect a liaison to go communicate with them. Yeah. Uh, Moving into House Bill 2847, which is authored by Representative Daniel Pei, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, out of Lawton, would create a red alert system uh, for when indigenous people are reported missing. It's going to create a system that is similar to the, what's the system when a child goes missing? Amber Alert. Amber Alert. Yeah, thank you so much. I don't know why I'm drawing a Older. I'm drawing a blank on everything tonight, yeah. but yeah, uh, a red alert system basically is what they're calling it. And where, who does it all go out to? Just the, the people in that, in that community? or This is an Oklahoma state deal, so so this is going to be a, a statewide deal, essentially. Okay. Yeah, I think it would go out thing. like a geographical Amber Alert would too, to like areas where they were last seen or where they think they'd probably be. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something like as we've talked about is some of these other things. It's something that, you know, should have been done in the past, right? A missing person is a missing person, regardless of their race or nationality or gender or whatever. So I think that that, that's a really, that's another step in the direction that we need to head towards. I think that's a a great idea and something I feel that would probably pass. Yeah. And that's the thing, Logan, is there's been a lot of discrimination uh, for for indigenous people here in the state of Oklahoma and across the nation when it comes to these issues and these cases. So uh, that that is a big disconnect and, and you make a good point. Right. And James has said it too. It's common sense, right? Somebody's missing. We, we should be doing whatever we can to find these people, no matter who they are, what they are or anything. Right. 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 Yeah. So I think that's definitely, I feel like that would be of all the bills, um, the, the one that would have the least arguments against, right. That's just something that, that should be passed clearly, you know, no matter what. So. Well, a lot, a lot of these bills are bipartisan bills, so they will more than likely get passed um, just because they have support from both sides. Um, of course, there will be people that are against it and they'll find a reason why. Of course, there's lobbyists down at the Capitol that are going to lobby for their people and, and lobby against others. Um, that's just politics, unfortunately. But um, at least something is being done. It's being talked about down at the Capitol. And, and so at, at least we can say that much about it. Um, but again, I want to double back. The, none of this happens without the community, right? None of this happens without people like us talking about this, without people like you out there in the community that are listening to this, talking about this. And again, if you want to talk about this, you want to come on the podcast, just just hit us up. We'll have our socials and everything in the, in the in the description for the podcast. We'll be more than happy to talk to you. Tell us your story. That's the thing. We want we want to hear people's stories, right? You know, Jeff and Haley did a great job of communicating with people. I, I've tried to get some people to come on this podcast, episode being episode one. Uh, we just kind of want to give an overview of everything that's going on and the issues involved. But uh, eventually, I would like to get people on to talk about their story with the whole coronavirus and everything like that. The logistics of everything has been very difficult. But that being said, again, this won't happen without the community. So if you're out there and you want to talk about it, that that's great. We'll talk with you for sure. So uh, House Bill 2848, this is the final House Bill also authored by Pay. Uh, would require law enforcement officers to take an additional hour of CLEAT, which is the Center for Law Enforcement Education and Training, which is the... Uh, government agency here in the state of Oklahoma that oversees law enforcement and security. Uh, They would take uh, an extra hour of CLEAT training focused solely on cultural competency and sensitivity training when interacting with missing indigenous people and their families. I think that's that's, uh, necessary for this, right? Because like we mentioned earlier, some of these people aren't comfortable talking to people that they don't know or they don't trust. So if you're able to you know, sit down and and be sensitive to what they're saying and learn how to communicate with these people. In turn, they're going to be more vulnerable with you and give you information that's actually factual and be like, hey, I trust this person. They're going to give this to the right person to hopefully help me find whoever it is that's maybe missing or whatever. So I think 
um, communication, like we've talked about, is a huge, a huge factor. And the more that you trust someone, obviously, the more vulnerable that you're going to be with them. Yeah. And, and, and I can tell you, because I, I do have a lot of background in Cleet, that they've, they've added a lot, of, a lot of things over the last five or six years, you, you know, with a lot of pushback from law enforcement officers, because they already have to go through extensive training to become an officer, not to mention the additional training that they have to keep up every single year um, in order to retain their commission and their cleat cards. And this is just going to be another hour that's tacked on. But a lot of these things that they've been passing through cleat as far as additional training that they've required officers to have is really good. In fact, you see Oklahoma City police officers here in the state of Oklahoma, here right here in Oklahoma City, for example, have had to have extensive training in dealing with people experiencing homelessness, right? We have a homeless outreach team, which they call a hot team. We also have officers that are specifically trained at Oklahoma City Police Department, trained with dealing with people who have mental illnesses, you know, CIT officers, I think is what they call them. So they have to go through additional training to get those certifications to be able to, to deal with these uh, individuals, you know, because the city of Oklahoma City recognized that as an issue, right? We have a large population of, of people experiencing homelessness um, in our city. So they recognize that as an issue. So now, you know, in order to deal with these people, you have to know how to deal with them, right? And, and I think the same is true here. In order to deal with people, uh, missing indigenous people and their families, you have to know how to deal with those people. And if you don't know how to deal with those people, there's going to be a, 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 you know, a disconnect there. There's going to be a lack of communication. So I, I think this is important. Uh, and, and I hope that this bill 2848 gets passed uh, as somebody who has background in cleat. I know that it's going to be more training for the officers, but at the end of the day, I think something like this is, is more common sense than maybe some of the other things that they go through training for. Also, I can tell you over the last five or six years, they've, they've definitely ramped up the amount of domestic violence training that officers here in the state of Oklahoma have to go through as well because they recognize that as an issue. So I think Cleet's doing a decent job and I'm glad that, you know, that that bill is being passed by the, the house um, and hopefully it'll go through the Senate and get passed as well. And then eventually be signed by the governor. So uh, again, these things are just moving slow right now because of everything that's going on with the coronavirus and social distancing The you know, governments are having to get creative, just like we're getting creative right now, having to do a podcast on zoom they're having to get creative and figure out how they're going to, you know, pass these bills and how they're going to meet and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, but that's basically it guys. If you have any last words that you want to, you want to talk about anything, um, it, you know, we can wrap this up. Um, well, my final thought on it is I'm just glad that the conversation's happening. I mean, nothing ever gets started or even gets in the direction of being resolved without having a conversation and bills being passed across the floor. You know, it could pass, it could not pass, but at least there's precedent now. And there may have been before this to that I'm not aware of, but I'm glad that at least the conversation's starting and we're at least kind of inching closer to alleviating this giant issue. I just, it's a, it should be of utmost importance to try to alleviate these kind of things, especially for a community that's so underrepresented, underrepresented politically, um, you know, this, the importance of this and trying to bridge the gap between the governments and even just regular society in these tribes is very important. So I'm glad that this is happening. I agree. I agree. I mean, um, whether all these bills end up passing or not, we've brought light to a dark situation, right? We've shown a light on it and allowed people um, to realize that this is actually happening. So I think that's going to spark a lot of uh, encouragement in the communities for people 
to begin rallying behind this whole movement of, Hey, we need to do something about this. So I think it's a, a step in the, in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it can only get better from here. So as long as we don't go backwards, you know, it can only get better. Yeah. And again, it only gets better with people like us talking about this with, uh, with you, the community talking about this as well. So again, if, if you're out there and you want to tell your story, we'd be happy to tell your story for you. Um, we'd be happy to talk to you. I know there's a lot of people out there that are wary about talking about this type of thing, but you know, there are people that are here for you and there are things that are happening right now in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, for those of you out there that are, uh, you know, have missing people in your family, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna solve this issue. It doesn't happen overnight for sure. Uh, but again, this doesn't happen without people talking about it. So I just want to thank you guys for coming on with me to talk about this today. We want to thank Haley and Jeff for doing all of that hard work. And uh, of course, you know, writing that story and, and bringing light to this issue here in the state of Oklahoma. But this has been episode one of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women podcast. I want to thank Garrett, James and Logan for coming on. I am your host, Anthony Mellendorf. I hope you all have a fantastic evening and uh, guys stay safe out there in the coronavirus.